Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Thursday Thoughts. I hope this podcast episode finds you well, and I hope you're all having a a wonderful day, a wonderful week, and I hope things are going well for you. Um, I just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to tune in to today's podcast. If you are a new listener or you haven't listened in a while, we are in a new season, a new series, if you will, looking at the book of Proverbs. And we've been going through the book of Proverbs, and we, we've stayed in the first four chapters a lot at the beginning of this. But we're going to start kind of jumping around through the book of Proverbs starting this week. We're going to jump all the way to chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6. Um, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6. Specifically, we are going to read verses 16 through 19. But we'll also reference the passages earlier in chapter 6 as well because all the teachings kind of compound and build into something that Solomon is trying to show his uh, his his son uh, who he's writing to and show us as an audience. And so we've talked about a few different things, and in particular you've heard me already mention Solomon's name. Solomon is uh, accredited with writing these, this, this first section of Proverbs, section Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. And so we've been looking at some of his, and he, and it's addressed to his his son. So probably his physical son, but I'm sure, you know, Jewish people, and obviously us today in our Bibles, we read it as you know, Solomon addressing us as spiritual sons and daughters, if that makes sense. Um, anyway, all that being said, just trying to set up some background for you all. Uh, let's dive into today's. Lesson. In, this is one that I'm in, in particularly I'm particularly interested in, um, just because I've always found this passage very fascinating and really interesting. And so today's podcast is basically going to be titled "The Seven You Don't Want." The seven you don't want, and you'll you'll see why I'm titling it that here in a moment. So let's begin. Do you guys remember growing up in your? own house and having certain rules in your house that may maybe not everyone else had rules like don't hit your brother i feel like most of us have that one you know don't don't leave the yard right unless there's an adult with you or do not get into the sweets cabinet or don't play football in the house right <laughs> and so you you see these like you know you think about it you your house may have had certain rules that maybe not everyone else had, but maybe you had certain rules that everyone else had, but, you know, we also have, you know, there are normal rules that everyone has, and then there are specific rules, but basically, did you guys have, like, those certain rules that if you broke them, your parents would be particularly mad? They would be, like, big mad, like, and you would get in big trouble if you broke a certain rule. You know, it's almost as like that certain thing really made them angry, and they didn't like it, so you really shouldn't do it, right? I feel like I, I know my parents had theirs, which most of the time it was just being, you know, just dishonest. You know, just tell the truth, even if even if it means you're going to get in trouble, you know, go ahead and just tell the truth, because you won't get in as much trouble as if you try to lie and find your way around it. And so my point is, is that, you know, if you guys think about it, maybe you're listening to it as a parent and maybe maybe you're a kid listening to this or just if you are an adult and, and you are thinking back to when you were with your parents, 
maybe you can think about there were some times where there were specific things that if you did them wrong, your parents got a little bit more upset than typical, right? And and I know that my parents had theirs, and I know me as a parent now, I have certain things that if, you know, laser does it, I get a little bit more frustrated than just like, you know, maybe forgetting to put your clothes up or something. And so I remember one time I was at my, my friend's house and his parents really had just one major rule, which was just don't rough house inside. Like if you're going to wrestle around and play, just go do that outside. Well, I remember it was later one night and there were probably five or six of us all there and we all started roughhousing and playing inside like we shouldn't have. And then my friend's older brother came home and just started jumping right in there with us and roughhousing with us. And I remember my friend's older brother and one of my friends, they were they were some bigger guys, you know, they were offensive linemen in football. They were big guys. And so they started wrestling around and they started getting a little bit out of control. And then they started, oh, there was the couch, and then BAM! They both slammed on the couch and literally snapped the thing off its legs, and they literally just broke the couch legs because they were both some big old boys. We knew right then and there that we were all dead men. Of course, we got in trouble, but luckily it wasn't too bad. You know, they, the parents showed us some mercy and grace. However, I think you could say we all learned our lesson to not rough house inside and wrestle around on the couches anymore. I share this story because, like parents, God has rules. And also, like some parents, God has things that really upset him. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, we see that there are seven things that the Lord uh, hates, right? Um, and so, let's read that passage real quick. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and, shed, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I don't know about you, but I remember when I first came across this passage in my Bible, I found it shocking to see that God actually hates something. And that just seemed weird to me because God is love, and how can love hate something? And we'll dive into that here in a moment. But, you know, however, with that being said, I believe it's important that we understand that, well, I should say, with that being said, since, you know, the fact that God can hate something and that God is love, you know, with that being said, it's important to understand that just as God has the capacity to to love, God also has the capacity to hate. You know, we don't need to put God inside this box, because God is God, and He is He is the Creator. We're the ones made in His image, so the different emotions that we display and things like that obviously come from God in a in a way of sorts, if you will. And so, and what is it? You know. Why, why does God hate these things? I think first I think it's important to realize that the word hate here in its original Hebrew language means basically to detest something and to abhor something. The word abomination also carries with it, you know, an idea to loathe, right? Detest and to despise, right? And so what does this mean? That Why does God hate these things? You know, there must be more than seven things that God hates, right? And I, I would think, 
you're right. I mean, after all, God has a lot more than just seven rules, right? However, I think it's important to remember, what does the number seven represent in the Bible? The number seven, along with numbers like 12, well, particularly seven and 12, they're, they're these numbers that represent completeness. So, seven is oftentimes to use to mean that which is full and that which is complete, right? So, this is one of those sevens in the Bible that you don't want. Q, this is the title for the lesson, the seven that you don't want. These seven things that God hates and that are an abomination to him, these are the seven things you don't want. And why is there only seven? Obviously, when God has so many different commandments and so many different things that we're supposed to do, how come these seven are just listed? How come God only hates these seven? And so I think it's important to remember that Proverbs is like poetry, these little wise sayings, and so there's a little bit deeper figurative meaning going on behind each of these. And so to me, I believe it's safe to say that these seven things form a complete range of the things that God hates. Uh, if you break these seven down, I think you'll see that they comprise mostly all the different ways people can sin, right? Through action, through thought, through attitude, through speech, and through influence. And so that's why it's seven. Seven represents fullness and completeness. And so these seven things that are an abomination to God that he hates, that he detests, these all just represent, these seven things represent sin and evil, right? And since God is a holy and perfect and righteous God, and he's chosen to be that, and he has defined what good is and what bad is, he is, you know, nothing evil can be even be within his presence, right? He, God can't be in the presence of sin. God will, God, at the, in the end, you know, in the judgment day when he comes back, he's going to destroy sin entirely and death and do away with it all, and then it'll only be the good. And so that's what this seven here is representing, fullness and completeness. These seven things that we read in Proverbs are just, it's a kind of culmination and a complete, kind of like, they're, they're almost like the summary points of all things that you could potentially do that are sinful. So the question is, is if God hates these things and detests them, what should our attitude be towards them? And so that's the question that you need to think about as we go through these. And so now let's break these down more in depth, right? So so haughty eyes, right? So haughty eyes are basically a proud look. Haughty is almost like pride. So basically this is talking about pride. This is referring to someone who views themselves above others, who has a lot of pride, who thinks maybe that they're, as the old saying goes, they think their stuff doesn't stink, right? So basically haughty eyes is referring to someone who is selfish or arrogant. The opposite of this would be the person who is, humble and is a servant, as Jesus says in Mark 10.43, right? Let's just be honest. No one likes the guy in the movie or the TV show who thinks he's better than everyone else. That's typically the most despised character in the movie or the TV show, or even a book if, you, if you'd prefer reading. You see, the Bible actually teaches that we should be humble and that we should be meek, right? Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We, we, did, we recently last season just finished going through the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, and so uh, for more detail on what meekness is, basically I'll just say meek, be, to be meek is strength under control. And so if you want to get into and see exactly what does it mean to be meek, um, I have a podcast episode on that uh, 
earlier in my seasons of Thursday Thoughts. And so, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And we also see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so, why does God hate and despise pride? Because pride is basically thinking that we don't need God and that we can do it on our own. Whenever, we, whenever we're prideful and we think that we're better than we actually are, that's basically us telling God, you know, God, I think I know best for me and I don't think you know what's best for me. And I think I can handle myself. That's what pride is saying, which is why we don't need to be uh, prideful and we need to be selfless and, and be servants, right? And think of ourselves lower and be humble and be meek because that's how Jesus was. Right? Okay. So let's jump into the next one. A lying tongue, right? This is that next thing that's listed. So this is obvious. This one's pretty straightforward. This is referring to someone who's not being truthful, someone who says an untrue statement with the intention to deceive somebody, right? I think the sad thing is that in parts of our world and in some professions, this has just become accepted that people are just sometimes dishonest. And I just don't think that's good, right? I know I personally want people people to be truthful to me, and I think it is safe to say that we all want people to be truthful, right? God obviously is the God of truth. God is truth, and so we need to be truthful in the things that we do, right? Sometimes I think about how whenever whenever I was in high school and my friends or people in school would be talking about, I don't know whether it was an experience doing a certain thing or having watched a certain movie and I hadn't yet. I remember feeling the pressure to just say, yeah, 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 I've seen that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. When in reality, I had no idea. Even those white little lies like that, you know, we call them white lies. I think that's wrong. I think, well, I don't think I know. Lies are lies. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. And we need to work on being truthful. And I know I had a bad problem with that. As a kid, I would just agree with things or say that I knew what people were talking about or that I had done something when I hadn't. And that's silly. Like, I, I should just be truthful, and it's okay if I haven't done some of these things. I should just be truthful and not intend to deceive people into thinking I know what, that I know what they're talking about or something like that. That's just an example from whenever I was younger, but, you know, thankfully I've worked on that a lot, and I don't really do that anymore now. If you if you ask me if I'm up to date with the latest trends or whatever, I'll I'll look at you and I'll tell you I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and if you know if you make fun of me for that, then so be it. But that's the mindset that we need to have is to be honest, right? Because the Bible is clear that all liars will be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation twenty one eight. And so this next thing, the third thing that God hates are hands that shed innocent blood, right? So basically, this is murder, and I believe most people who aren't even religious would agree with this, that this is wrong, right? Murder is a work of the flesh that Paul lists in Galatians 5.21. Murderers will also be cast into the lake of fire, as we see in Revelation 21.8. And so heads that shed innocent blood. Obviously, Lord willing, I'm not, you know, hopefully this doesn't apply to you, but... If it does, you know, these are things that Lord that the Lord hates, and these are things that we need to repent from. And so, you know, I even I think about here at Canyon View, we have a prison ministry, and you know, so obviously I'm sure some of these guys who are in prison are people who've shed innocent blood, whether they actually murdered someone or attempted to murder someone, they're in prison for something like that. But yet, 
the the missionary that we support, you know, he's going into these prisons and preaching the gospel to these guys, and they're believing in it and accepting it and repenting of their sins and changing. And it just shows that, you know, these, these, you know, not many of us would probably group lying in the same category of bad as murdering, but God groups them together because sin is sin and wrong is wrong, and if it's not in accordance with God's will, it is wrong. And God cannot deal with sin, and God will deal mightily and strongly with sin. And so, so those are the first three. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. This fourth thing that God hates is referring to an evil or wicked heart. So what does that mean? I think it means a heart that is, you know, thinking, planning, and scheming of something evil. It's almost like that person who's walking around just wanting to pick a fight, right? That that crooked heart, that evil heart. Someone who's just walking around wanting to start gossip, to start some drama, to just create problems for people. A heart that devises wicked plans, that's who this is talking about. And again, we see from the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord wants us to have pure hearts, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And being pure in heart, again, does not mean that you will be perfect and having a pure heart and a clean heart, but it means that you know you understand your situation and that you're trying to pursue righteousness and you're not pursuing evil. The fifth thing that the Lord hates are feet that make haste to run to evil. And so similarly to the heart that is devising wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, I believe, is referring to someone who's running around, causing trouble, causing harm, and injury. Right? It's basically, to me, someone who's just looking to get in trouble. Someone who wants to just to get into the next wrong thing. You know, that guy who's always wanting to, you know, oh man, yeah, we should go out and get drunk and party this Friday night. And then that next Saturday, yeah, we should go and... um. Uh, I don't know, we should go try to steal some candy from the liquor store or, you know, whatever whatever it may be, you know. It's someone who's almost just going around and causing trouble. And similarly to the heart that is devising wicked plan, you know, feet that make haste to run to evil, I think also can be done through gossip or busyness and several other ways, right? So I think about, you know, if you make haste and you're just ready to go and talk, gossip is obviously something that we're told not to do in the Bible. It's sinful. And so if we walk around gossiping about people, right, then we're making, our feet are making haste to run to evil. Or in even busyness, neglect, right? Busy bodies. Paul talks about don't just be busy bodies, right? And so, you know, if you make haste to just go and do all these different things, but you never make time for God, the most important thing, that's making haste to run to evil because it's evil to run around and put other things above God. And so feet that make haste to run to evil are the fifth thing that God hates, right? I think about um, Acts 13.10 relates to this because it too is describing wickedness, right? Paul in this passage is talking to Elamus who was trying to sway people from the faith. Paul tells Elamus in Acts 13.10, he says, "'You son of the devil!' You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And so we see, obviously, feet that make haste to run to evil are also people who would be grouped into this category of false teaching. Because it's evil to pervert the word of God. 
The sixth thing that the Lord hates is a false witness who breathes, who speaks out lies. And so, you know, the second thing, a lying tongue was specifically about lying. This one relates to lying, but I think it's specifically someone who's bearing a false report, someone who's saying something false that's not actually true, right? Um, I think uh, one way to think about this, I think in 1 John chapter 2, when John's talking about the, the this group, these people who are called antichrists, uh, I think this is basically who this could be referring to, because, you know, I think one 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 thing that the world and the pop culture gets wrong, you know, with the Antichrist, the Antichrist is not just this one single great evil being who's going to come, who is everything opposite of what Jesus is. No, Antichrists are anybody who is anti-Christ. It's in the name. People who despise Jesus, people who don't agree with his message. And so basically... I think of like atheists. Atheists are basically antichrists. Like I said, when you go through and read 1 John chapter 2, you see a description of warning about the antichrists, right? Um, we're not going to dive off into that too much, but <clears throat> you see that this list is just referring to anybody who doesn't do the will of God. That's who these people are, right? And so, and these people bear a false report, a false teaching, a, a worldly doctrine, right? One of the Ten Commandments was, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Exodus 20, 16, right? Jesus said that sin proceeds out of the heart, right? That this sin proceeds out of the heart and is associated with lying. That's found in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 19 through 20. And so, <clears throat> bearing a false witness about someone, a false report is more than just, you know, maybe saying a little white. This is more than just saying a lie. This is like saying something wrong about whether it's about God or about someone else. It's bearing a false report, and that's why God hates it, because it's not holy and it's against his will. And so the seventh thing that God hates, one who sows discord among the brethren. So basically someone who is divisive. This is referring to someone who caused division, right? I think it's important to realize that Jesus prayed for all of us to be one, right? John 17, 20, and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Paul also said that there should be no division among us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. <clears throat> Paul even said that we should avoid those who cause division. Romans 16, 17-18 I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so, we arrive here at the end of this passage, right? And so, we didn't read them, but I want to encourage you guys to go read through Proverbs chapter 6, all the way up here to verse 19. And when you look at the, the there's four teachings in these 19 verses, of Proverbs chapter 6. And so, in summary, when you look at the four teachings, they work together to create a portrait of folly and sin and foolishness in its various forms. 
<clears throat> so here in Proverbs 6, the young man is warned about what he might lose in bad deals and neglect about wicked men who go about scheming to take what is theirs. Each of the four sections here in Proverbs 6, they conclude with a negative outcome. The one who pledges is caught in a trap. The sluggard will be ambushed by poverty, and the scoundrel will be overtaken by his, by his disaster. Right, And the one who stirs up dissension provokes God's loathing and detesting. No more threat need be said. The one who pledges can get out of the trap, and the sluggard can get up and learn from the ant and be different. But the scoundrel and the people who practice and make a lifestyle out of these seven things that the Lord hates will be destroyed without remedy. There are good indications then that, you know, the insertion of these four warnings is not haphazard, right? We have seen that the teachings on pledges and laziness are related by the call to action, right, um, and the freedom of self-discipline. Likewise, the separate but similar teachings on the wicked person and the actions hated by God are related by the misuse of body parts and our minds for evil and its recompense. The Lord hates these evils. The Lord hates all evil. And those who do these evils and make a practice of them without the salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be destroyed. And so taken together, the teaching of these four warnings can be paraphrased like this. Do not allow your members to become passive so that you are under another's power. And do not let your members become active for evil so that you uh, imagine you are a power over others. Both of these extremes ignore the reality of God's righteous rule. If the first two have a message about earning and protecting one's own substance from loss, the last two of these four warnings warn about those who would take it from others. And so here in conclusion, when we're thinking about, you know, these things, right, these seven things in particular, I think there's a reason Solomon uses them at the end of these four practical warnings in Proverbs chapter 6. The reason he uses these at the end is because it's basically summarizing all the different ways people can do wrong. Right? There's so many different branches that branch off from these, but the point is, is that these seven things that the Lord hates basically represent all the different ways that we sin and that we do things wrongly. And so the thing is that as Christians, we're supposed to have a mindset of detesting sin and despising sin. We shouldn't want anything to do with sin. We shouldn't think, well, uh, you know, if I go out with my friends and get drunk one Friday night, it's just one time. I think that's fine. Or, you know, well, I really like this person. I really like this girl or guy, you know, and, you know, I really like them. And so, you know, I think it's okay if we don't wait till marriage and we just go ahead. You know, these things are not okay. They're sinful. And God wants us to be better than this. And so, if God hates these things, how should you feel about them? You should hate and loathe and detest sin as well. Because we're supposed to bear, we're name bearers as Christians. We're carrying the name of Christ. And so we're, we, we should want nothing to do with sin and we should want to be better. And so if God hates these things and you're involved with them, you know, if you're involved with lying or if you're always making haste to run to evil or even just staying busy and neglecting God and you're you know, breathing out false witness. If you are, or if you are, if you're being, um, if you're someone who causes division, if you're someone who uh, is prideful or lies, or if you've ever he shed innocent blood, if you've ever devised wicked plans, 
you know, and if you're doing these things, it's not too late to change. It's never too late to change your ways. You know, and also just because you're involved in some of these things does not mean that God hates you. I think it's important. Does God in these passages say he hates the person doing these things? Right? No. He's saying he hates the hands that shed innocent blood. He hates the lying tongue or the proud look or the heart that devises wicked plans. He wants you to change that heart and make it a heart that that promotes good things. He wants you to change that lying tongue and destroy that lying tongue and make it a tongue that professes truth. He wants you to take those hands that may have shed innocent blood to make them hands that help people and build one another up. He wants you to destroy that proud look and become humble. He wants you to change those feet that make haste to run to evil and to feet that run toward the good things. He wants you to be an encouraging witness who speaks truth about people and encourages people. He wants you to be someone who unites people. And so God doesn't hate people. He hates the sin. You know, have you ever heard that saying, love the sinner, hate the sin? Well, that's the idea here, is right. God doesn't hate these people. And does God doesn't hate us when we sin and we make mistakes. He hates the sin and he wants us to get rid of it. And you know how much I know, you know how, why I'm positive to say that God doesn't hate you is because, like Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still doing all these things that God hates, all these sinful practices, Jesus died for us. And so, no, God doesn't hate you. Jesus doesn't hate you. He loves you so much that he died for you. He loves you so much that even while we were doing these things that are evil and that are wrong, he died for us and gives us a chance to destroy those things, to get to allow him to be the light of our life. Because to engage in these practices is to oppose God. And as we have seen, if we oppose God, we will be lost and we will be destroyed. And so we should avoid these evils and hate them as God does and detest them and loathe them and do everything we can to avoid them and to live in truth. And so these are the seven things that you don't want. Rather, rather, we should do the opposite of these things. Rather, as we've said, what is the opposite of these things? We should not be. We should be humble instead of having haughty eyes. We should speak the truth instead of having a lying tongue. We should help people with our hands instead of hurting them. Our hearts should make good plans for the Lord and not devise wicked ones. Our feet should make haste to run to good things and not evil. We should only speak good about our brothers and sisters and encourage them and not down and degrade them. And lastly, we should be uniters. We should unite people instead of sowing discord and dissension and division. And so these are the seven things that God hates, and we need to do the opposite of these and do this and be complete and full of God's love. And the way you do that is by, if you're not a Christian, you become a Christian, right? You, you, can, you, you hear the word, you believe in it, you repent from your sins, which means you turn away, you confess that Jesus is Lord, and you get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and, the, and then you raise up and walk in a new life full of God's will, and you seek God's will out in your life. That's how you avoid these seven things, the seven things that you don't want. 
I want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Thursday Thoughts. I hope you all have a great rest of your week, and Lord willing, I pray that you'll tune in to next Thursday's podcast as well. God bless, guys.